0: Welcome to the Marshall Proof Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode following a packed weekend at the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. Huh. <laughs> I'm recording this at almost four o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. I apologize if I'm a little sniffly and nasally. I feel like I I don't know what. I don't know if it's just sinuses or if I caught a little something. Uh, no COVID, thankfully, did the test. Do the test every time I come home from an event, and uh, all good there. But uh, my dear wife as well is dealing with a little something congestion-wise, so maybe that's our jam right now. But anyways, <clears throat> thanks as always for sending in a ton of great questions. Our friend Jim Kaiser, member of the Prue Day, has put together our list, our new shorter form show, about an hour in length. Uh, we'll go overtime for the ones that really warrant it. Uh, we might do that a tiny bit here, but for the most part, we're going to stick to an hour. going to say a huge thank you as well to Cooper Tires that have been our partners since the second year of the podcast. Once we get to May, uh, I think May 8th, is it? That'll be our sixth year. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> ah, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, crazy, crazy. Been doing this for a little while. Certainly not as long as many, many others, but uh, at least for me, this thing's been, uh, boy, it's been a big part of my life since it kicked off there in 2016. I also want to say a huge thank you to the Justice Brothers. Got to see the Justice family, Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Justice, uh, their amazing daughter, Courtney, who uh, looks after so many things for them in their automotive, chemical, and lubricant business. With amazing ties to motor racing, Indy 500 wins dating back to the what 50s. Uh, also, last year with Marchenko Racing and Elio Neves, uh, just truly immensely wonderful people uh, who take great care of us here in the show. And then also got to see my man, not as much as I wanted. Flew all the way down from Canada. Uh, flew down from Y Y Z. Good old Toronto, Derek Koska from torontomotorsports.com. So. If you're in the mood, if you are in, uh, in a place where you need motor racing memorabilia, IndyCar, F1, you name it, hats, t-shirts, models, stickers, pay a visit to torontomotorsports.com. So I could spend the hour talking to you about all that I saw, heard, and took part in during this weekend's event. It was ridiculous. Uh, Thursday itself was packed (laughs) from end to end with all kinds of amazing things uh, between pouring over some of my favorite cars of all time the old IMSA GTP cars to going to the RRDC dinner uh, that is the Road Racing Drivers Club a a fairly prestigious and exclusive club uh, one that actually inducted me a few years ago so poor judgment on their part that was a Kind of my uh, my close friend Harley Cluxton, uh, who nominated me and then seconded by RDC president Bobby Ray Hall. So, two guys with terrible judgment. Uh, this was a honor. One of the true. I don't know. This stuff is overwhelming, y'all. Honors kind of a lifetime thing. Some of you might know that I'm pretty close with the Gurney family. I was very close with uh, one of my heroes, the late Dan Gurney. And uh, was invited to sit at the Gurney table at the RRDC dinner with Harley, with his, next to his wife, Colette. Uh, she and I were having a blast. Um, invited by Evie Gurney, Dan's, uh, Dan's wife, and Justin Gurney, who looks after All-American Racers. His brother, Alex Gurney, some of you may know from his uh, really illustrious career as a championship-winning race car driver. It just meant a lot. Um, to be invited by Evie, to be there with them, to be welcomed in and entrusted to, uh, being part of their world for the, for the night where we honored Rick Mears. Um, just, just truly wonderful little funny sidebar. So this was on Thursday, as I mentioned, and, uh, my wife who's been making really great progress, um, she did something on Thursday that I'm not ready to share on the podcast or publicly. Uh, I shared it with some friends privately, but she was able to do something for the first time. It was just really cool. And so I was checking in with her after that, over in, in the little corner of the atrium area uh, before the dinner started, and my friend David Malcher, former racer colleague, came over. He's was like, it looks like you're FaceTiming with Chabrel, and he stuck his head in and uh, uh, chatted with her for a moment, and then maybe 20 or 30 feet away, I saw our friend Kara Adams from uh, uh, Firestone, and, and I apologize, I'm forgetting her new last name uh, with her uh, brand new marriage with a wonderful new husband, but uh, Kara saw us assume the same thing i was holding the is there a way you hold the phone that makes it really clear your facetiming maybe anyway she's like is that chabrell and she came running over and they'd never met you know uh, in person but uh she stuck her head in and they're having a good old conversation there and uh i just i think i just handed cara the phone and uh it was just really cool Kara had sent uh i mean she always asks about chabrell but uh i think she'd sent a really beautiful card uh, not so long ago, just a card of encouragement and support, uh, from my wife. So just, I'm telling y'all, my heart was overflowing with, uh, amazing people and saw so many others in the paddock met some uh, awesome listeners of the show for the first time. Some interacted with on social media and got to meet, uh, as well. So just, uh, It's a blur every year. I love it to death. I wish it was about a week longer because then I could really take things in. But, uh, boy, love me some Long Beach Grand Prix. As I mentioned on the Hashtag Racing Family Show, I looked at my little tracker thing on my phone, and it said from Thursday through Sunday, I I did something like 43,000 steps. So that explains why I have so much content I have yet to produce, including a bunch of Hashtag MP Show that I just didn't have time to get to. Lots of in-car footage, a little bit of uh, uh, raw footage from the IMSA GTP stuff as well. So, all that stuff is coming. So, with all that said, let me do one final thing before we uh, kick off the show here. Last week, I forgot to mention the Prude Prude Listener Group that formed on their own. It is a bunch of men and women, uh, incredibly diverse group of folks of ages, faiths, uh, origins, you name it. Awesome and. Not only do I, I love and appreciate them for what they do, uh, not just as fans of the show, but just as uh, folks who are really fun and do good things in life, benevolent things in life. Uh, they have a email address if you want to join. Uh, just a group of racers, racing fans who do a bunch of bench racing, talking about all kinds of crazy things privately on a their private, uh, I believe, Discord group. Uh, If you want to join in, just looking for a group of fun, warm-hearted, silly, and irreverent folks who do love themselves, some IndyCar, some sports cars, F1, you name it, uh, send an email to prudayrocks at gmail.com, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S, prudayrocks at gmail.com, and one of the, uh, the kind men or women among the leadership group, will probably catch that in a couple days and reach out and uh, welcome you into the ever expanding Prude family. So, that's, I, again, I could talk to you all day about Long Beach uh, just from the personal observations compared to the professional stuff. But uh, let's get going with a little bit of music, a little bit of sound bed here, and let's get things rocking with Ben Cohen. Gonna open the show. Couple items about Colton Herta. Uh, did he poop the bed really bad? Are there bigger things going on here? Let's get going with Ben. MP says, I appreciate all your coverage this weekend. Thanks, man. This is question about the 26 car driven by Taco himself. Third week in a row without a uh, pit issue. Uh, it says, Not sure this week was a quote issue, just a longer stop uh, prior to his unfortunate shunt to end the weekend. Are we entering trend territory as opposed to one off status? For what that crew, uh that may be leading to potentially bigger issues affecting Colton. He says while he was fast this weekend, he didn't seem as clean as normal. There some miscues in practice to boot. He says rooting like heck for him to have a good in barber, and as always, thanks for all you do for us fans. Well, sweetie, man. I don't know. I'm a fan as well. Uh I just I'm a fan who got a job uh in the sport and has been doing jobs in the sport for 33 years now for, I don't know, long ass time. Um, I know a number of the members of the good folks on his pit crew and they're excellent. They really are. This was not a giant issue by any means that lost him some track position compared to the first two rounds were a fueling error uh and then the second race just a tire attachment error really were you know those were big mistakes um what we had here was just about one extra second that made a big difference and you know i think it was technically 1.2 or 1.3 seconds slower than uh what was it Pelot and new garden roughly but even without a significant mistake. And it looked like they just waited an extra amount of time before dropping the car. It looked like tire service was done and the car just remained up in the air uh, for reasons unknown for just a little bit too long. Uh, but it was just, honestly, Ben, this brief lapse, adding a second, just a little over a second to the pit stop compared to uh, adding 5 or 10 seconds or you know whatever it might be just this tiny miscue this is really where things are starting to get down to uh, of the teams are are so close this car has been used for so long engineering quality uh, is so high the driving quality is so high every year more pressure is being applied to uh indycar pit crews because Sorry, as I hit the microphone with my coffee mug. (laughs) Good Lord, I need to get some rest. Um, This is just getting tougher every year. And so I only expect it to get worse next year. Where, yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Pit crews, we love you. I used to be part of them. And uh, it sucks. I mean, you really have to be amazingly cool and amazingly brain-dead. Uh, When you are changing tires, you just need to be going through that kind of lizard brain, muscle memory, do nothing different. Don't try to be fast. Just effectively turn off your brain, nut off, wheel off, wheel on, nut on, step back. And I know it sounds simple. It obviously isn't because we have some of the most highly trained men and women On pit lane in any racing series in the world. And they are having some slight bobbles and miscues and errors. So imagine what an old monkey like me or the average person would do. It would be just a buffet of embarrassment. So there's no way to softly, easily, and nicely write that team A or Team B really goofed up or hey slow stop killed their driver's chance at at a podium or a win those things happen there's no way to sugarcoat it you have to talk about it write about it comment about it as a straight fact it doesn't change the fact though that man i feel for every single crew member every time um i don't know what's going on here uh for some of you who might be familiar with the term the yips um not Colton Hurt band, the zibs, by the way, but the yips. It's a, a phrase that was coined, I believe it was in the 70s, uh, with a pitcher, baseball pitcher, who uh, just lost his groove, was throwing, <laughs> he was pitching, but the balls were going everywhere but into the catcher's mitt, and it just was this mental obstacle that he hit and couldn't get beyond and we've seen it happen in golf in basketball in just every sport you wonder if you have not necessarily the same person on the same car making mistake after mistake race after race but just if it's just kind of dancing around the team and maybe it's not you maybe it's your team member on the other side of the car changing a tire maybe it's a refuel or maybe it's the jack person whatever Just got to wonder if that, if the yips are are circulating a little bit at Andretti right now because hit Alexander Rossi as well. Uh, So, and that's, yeah, yeah. So I feel for them, Ben. I really do. And I don't know exactly what the remedy is, but I sure hope that for their sake, their driver's sake too, but just for them. Uh, as good people trying to do good work that they can get past this and make it a non-issue. Brian Rice, you said, what a great race on Sunday. I don't know if I recall the crowd in Turn 1 Grandstand ever being as engaged and excited as when Romain Groschon was battling with Alex Pelo and Joseph Newgarden towards the end of the race. There's a question stemming from the tough result for Colton. If you're Michael Andretti, having a one-on-one debrief with Colton after the dust settled from the race, what would your primary message be to him? Great question, Brian. I appreciate that. So Colton and I were supposed to do our hamburger and taco show after the race. I think I mentioned that he was so mad after the pit stop mistake in Texas on the final stop that, uh, kind of blew his shot at success. Uh, he didn't want to do the video. Uh, he and I were texting back and forth a lot. I couldn't talk him off the ledge. And so, um, There you go. Knowing that he crashed, you know, a little bit past halfway, but crashed near the middle of the race. I'm like, well, do I really expect him to stick around, uh, for another hour and then do a video to talk about how he pooped the bed? I didn't even bother reaching out to him, you know, uh, texting him or wandering down a pit lane. Uh, I actually just reached out to my friend Marie Fenoro at uh, the AJ Foyt team, seeing that, uh, Kyle Kirkwood was doing fairly well, saying hey if you could hold on to him after the race i'll wander over i'll do the uh, end of day video with him so I just mention that because i did not anticipate colton wanting to even do the video thinking that he would be fuming mad with himself uh and therefore not in the mood to do any kind of video where that was being shown um about an hour after recording with Kirkwood just as I think I was about to upload it I'm looking now he sent me a text hey dude um I just forgot I just forgot sorry brother uh send me a text after the race so uh, I don't forget or else I usually will and uh anyways it was sweet of him but so I just mentioned that because I was like oh okay well that was a, a poor assumption Brian on my part um I should have gone down there and, and looked for him or texted him at least so that was my bad so, I just mentioned that brief little story because I didn't get a chance to really connect with Colton beyond the text there. And so this morning uh, I rang him and said, Hey, I'm doing my post race cool down lap column that they call it uh, on race. I don't really care for that title, but regardless, uh, finishing up my cool down lap thing. And what was that? What caused that? Was it you? Was it, you know, the, the, commentators were saying oh it's nashville all over again and he was pushing too hard and threw it all away was it that were you just red missed at the pit stop exchange and going from first to third and you're just driving recklessly or was it just a mistake just a, a simple mistake he's like no man um if you look at the footage and this this is the trying to give you the the context here to get the answer for you If you look at what happened, he had a really crucial part in the braking zone coming into turn nine, happened to go six inches, maybe a foot to the left, farther than he'd gone to the left before. That's an area that drivers really and truly avoided. I guess they found, you know, venturing out for the first time on Friday, getting a feel for the grip in the braking zones getting a feel for how the bumps may have worsened during the off season. Uh, I could just say most drivers coming into turn nine, knowing it's already super bumpy, they feel those things out. Most got to feel that, boy, especially a little bit over more towards the left, it's really gotten worse. And so they stayed over a little bit more to the right. Colton, who'd done that lap after lap for, again, this is a these cars are going very fast and you're trying to be perfect from a precision standpoint sometimes you're a little bit off on one corner on this lap and a different corner on that lap this time he happened to move over a little bit too far to the left big bump bottomed out the chassis locked up that left front tire had no grip uh or i apologize whether it was left front or right front but lost uh the ability to slow the car adequately and with all that speed and momentum bam, sailed into the wall. Uh, as he told me, he says, look, I really honestly wasn't even pushing. Was saving fuel, was cruising about a second behind Joseph. Pelo was about to pit and so was really just biding my time, taking it easy. When Pillow pitted, I was going to turn it on, try and knock out a monster lap or two and you know uh, get back in front of him. But he said, at this point, uh where I did crash. So it was really frustrating. Just a dumb mistake. I was over a little bit too far, car bottomed, lost control of the front in the wall. It wasn't me driving like a maniac trying to uh uh you know push harder than I should have. So that's why I don't think there's much for Michael to say. You know, Colton although he's had two high profile crashes in the last 6 7 races whatever the number is uh, since we had Nashville last year. He's had a couple high-profile ones while, what, at Nashville running second, here running third. Uh, Embarrassing, but he's not known for that. He's not known for making big mistakes all the time, tearing up the car all the time. It's just, boy, the last two times it's happened, Brian, yeah, they have been in really strong points-paying positions, and they have hurt. So I don't know if there's much for Michael to say. If I'm Michael, just... Getting the uh, the read on what happened and going, oh, all right. Well, I mean that that happens. Hopefully not often, but that happens. Uh, let's go to Windy Car. Says MP. Part of me feels like all like all the prodigy, F1 and other talk about Pato and Herta, might be having a negative effect on their mindsets. They're both phenomenal, but in a series with some storied veterans, lots of fierce talent. Neither of them have won an Astor Cup or a 500 still learning still plenty to build upon and grow are they both getting ahead of themselves do you think it's getting in their head pato said as much without all those specifics in my interview with him after qualifying on saturday it's interesting to hear an nbc commentator during the race say that Pato opened up to him Sunday morning about the same exact things that I wrote about Saturday afternoon where he opened up to me. But anyways, um, let me go with Pato first and then Colton. It's been pretty clear that something has been off with Pato this year. Know that I've probably mentioned this a million times on the show and in print and otherwise you don't just lose talent. You don't just lose speed. Uh, He doesn't, You don't forget how to drive. He hasn't forgotten how to drive. The kid that was scaring everybody last year with outrageous speed and just easy speed and attacking everybody and doing these outrageous passes. I haven't really seen that guy so much this year. He'd pulled off a couple of those type of passes, but, you know, this is while fighting over a position in the race that wasn't super meaningful. So cars not as quick, the cars at Air McLaren SP haven't been as quick. Pato has not been as much of a threat. he looked a little bit out of sorts. So that's basically what I asked him uh, with uh, Aaron McLaren SP, PR man, uh, Phil Zielinski there, uh, said, hey, do you think Pato has a minute or two? I said, yeah. Uh, So just asked him, hey, what, uh, what wasn't your car doing that you needed it to in qualifying? And he qualified 11th, right? Not terrible, but that's not what we expect from Pato. For Pato, that's a surprise. Uh, Long Beach, we'd expect something much closer to the front. So, gave some insights, uh, but really didn't speak so much about the car as just himself being a little bit out of sorts, and himself not being in the flow. And I wrote about that part after where i said okay so our, where what happened where's the flow gone that easy flow of yours um and that's where you know i really truly just expected a quick answer about hey, eh, you know the car had a little bit of this didn't do that and you know we'll get it cleaned up for the race and i think we'll be okay conversation went in a very different place lasted five six minutes whatever it was and this is where he really did open up in a very honest uh, way I appreciate him for doing that because a lot of athletes wouldn't want to say, yeah, I'm struggling. Uh, I'm not myself. i uh, been asked to do some different things, change my approach by the team, and it's not working for me. Um, and he mentioned in this, you know, this is some influence from the F1 side of McLaren, asking him, telling him, you'll have better results if you change your approach to feedback and just contributing how you contribute to the engineering side. Also really the heart of the answer here. I think there's been a decent amount of turmoil between himself and I don't know who all among leadership in the team, but when, when we, when I asked him whether he was, uh, could be available, uh, for 2023 and got a somewhat surprising on the record answer, um, There was no mistake in how he chose to answer that. He could have just said no comment, left it alone, non-story. Clearly something here, whether you would call it a rift, whether you would call it something that's become broken, I don't know. But I know that while Pato was giving me a very honest answer, pushing back on the team and basically saying, I'm not doing what you're asking me to do anymore. I'm just going to do me and what makes sense to me. I didn't get a great look at Phil, uh, but I just know in the back of my mind that those are the kinds of things that make PR reps go, oh, man, oh, man. Um, The kid's honesty has been surprising. I don't say that because he has a reputation for lying or otherwise. I'm just saying normally you're not going to get that kind of honesty out of most drivers, unless they're a, you know, multiple time champ, 15 year veteran, super secure in their place, in the sport, in their team. And Hey, if, uh, so, you know, if Scott Dixon wants to bark at the team, he will, and they're going to have to take it. He's not really the type of guy to do that, but I'm just saying, you know, a willpower uh, run down the list of, of some real serious embedded veterans within a team. They've got the power and the, the tenure to call folks out if they feel that's the best thing. It's usually not the case from someone who's been with the team for two years, is in year three and has two wins to their credit, but, you know, not exactly standing on top of uh, impeccable credentials where you can fire shots and know uh, there's going to be no blowback from it. So I don't know if there's any blowback from the team for his answers to my questions on Saturday and the door that he opened there. But I can just tell you this. It doesn't feel like Harmony is at the same level that it was last year. Um, and I don't know what it is. It's not like he's going to go into any of that. It's not like a Zach Brown or a Taylor Kyle uh, or Sam Schmidt are going to crack open the door and say, yeah, Marshall, as a matter of fact, let us air dirty laundry. That's not going to happen. Just saying from an external observer, I think, there's more going on behind the scenes that is not simple or at peace or otherwise. And these things I would say, based on some of how Pato answered those questions on Saturday would suggest that there does need to be some clearing of, uh, of some issues, some washing of dirty laundry and making sure that everything is clean and pristine and getting back to whatever place of happiness. Pato needs to work on his mentals as much as he can to get back to being himself, but if there are still lingering things and a little bit of uh, adversarial growths uh, between himself and the team, whether it's him to the team or the team to him or who knows, Bring in a priest. <laughs> that team is not going to vie for a championship like it did last year unless there is true peace and harmony found between driver and team. So even if it's only 1% windy car, even if it's only a 1% downgrading in that strong unified thing that we saw take place last year where Pato almost won the championship, came into the final race second in the standings, led the championship at one or two points. If they're going to get back to that, they sure as hell aren't going to do it by there being some sort of standoffish or problematic thing between its lead driver um, and, uh, and whomever else there might be issues with cold i don't see there being anything just refer back to the answer uh to brian rice's question it's a mistake that's all it was uh pit stop mistake at texas ruined his day pit stop mistake at st pete uh took him out of contention for a win so yeah you could add those things up and say boy it looks like mclaren testing and whatever else might be uh weighing on him but yeah um that kid is so capable of just wiping the slate clean and focusing in on the important things. Uh, I don't see any problems here whatsoever. Uh, Greg Fall, you say, thoughts on not throwing a yellow for Colton Hurd's crash? It says, it gave Newgarden a free pass where otherwise Dixon and Pillow are maybe one-two, and Rossi's probably third or fourth if the caution uh, comes out. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, there was some debris on the track for sure, but there's also a lot of debris on the track, that debris being marbles, uh, tire rubber. Uh, I know that the carbon bits and whatnot are certainly a little bit more dangerous than the tire marbles, but he crashed. There wasn't a wheel or a wing or something else left on the track, and he got himself out of the way and off of the racing circuit. I am totally good now, as I was when it happened, uh, with what IndyCar's race director did, Kyle Novak. Um, yeah, uh, this is kind of the thing you're hoping for. Wasn't optimal. Um, but Hey, was able to keep the race going. And I think most people or, you know, a considerable number were able to jump in and, uh, get service and such. So I didn't see a big issue with it at all see michael mueller says is there a rule about how early a pit crew can set out tires before their car sorry i scrolled too far past your question here uh before they set out tires before their car arrives at the pit box as i noticed during the second round of stops at rossi's crew was already in the box with tires in place when alex made his stop requiring polo to drive around rossi's front tire changer instead of having a clean entry to his box with Rossi some 30 seconds down the road from Pillow at the time, thought this might have been a purposeful move by Andretti to slow Pillow's pit time and aid Colton hurt his attempt to retake the lead. Says Colton's crash made this moot point, but it certainly did help Joseph uh, in his efforts to take the lead. Is this any kind of gamesmanship with pit equipment allowed within the rules or is I thinking a bit too mischievous? Well, I had that question myself if your driver if you know your driver is a fair ways away and you see the uh the driver that's pitted right in front of you just about to pull in it's not uncommon for someone to uh stand up take the tire whatever you know whatever side it might be left front left rear you name it uh i'm sorry right front or left front pick it up and step out of the way to create a bit of an easier entry for the driver just as we often see uh, if the car in front of another during a pit stop finishes its stop uh, before the one behind it's not uncommon for that person on the outside tire to try and pick it up and move it out of the way so you're not totally blocking the car behind you is that a rule Uh, if it is i don't recall it but you try and be as as kind as you can but if we're talking about folks who are fighting over a potential win compared to oh here comes somebody who's no threat to us yeah hey move the tire not a big deal or, or whatever or if you're with a car that's completing a stop that's out of contention and you know a leader or someone running up front hits right behind you and what again you might take that tire out of the way to help them but well, if you're fighting over something meaningful, whether it's your car's directly or just your team, I don't know if you're really going out of your way to give them a faster stop to potentially leapfrog your teammate. So, I don't recall a rule. Uh, I don't think setting up, you know, 30 seconds early or whatever is is would be considered by any means uh going too early, but yeah, I'd say it's more of a unwritten thing where if you're not gonna really monkey with one another on track um might be prone to help a little bit but if there's any heated competition yeah not so much michael let's go to brian at 500 indy 1911 so did they ever run the uh, sweepers during any of the cautions multiple drivers reference the abundance of marbles What's the standard operating procedure for running the sweepers both on road and street courses and ovals? Okay, brother. Uh, I'm not going to go grab the rule book for this one, so I apologize. But I swear that I saw the sweepers out once at least. Uh, I'm not talking full track. Um, But I, I do recall seeing a little bit of running around more situational, you know, in an area where a problem was had. Uh, but yeah, by the end of the race, I mean, there were some wicked, wicked amounts of, uh, marbles around the track. So a full course sweeping. No. Um, I would also say that we're talking about a, a two mile street circuit like this one where, well, we did have a couple of crashes that took a little while to clean up. None of them were like, Whoa seven car pile up showstopper almost we're going to be down for a good long time go out, go ahead and run those out i don't think we had any of those to really make that an option brian so normally if we're talking a granted i know the size of the track might be similar on an oval one and a half two miles or whatever else but um you know if we're, we're down there for a little bit uh, also knowing how scary the speeds are i think we're we're more prone to see the sweeper sent out in case of a crash, whatever, even if it might be cleaned up pretty quickly. Just knowing that while, yes, the track is one and a half miles in length, uh, you can do that consistently, not having to speed up and slow down and weave around this corner and that corner. And just go out and get that done in a pretty timely manner uh, on most ovals. uh want to go to Mark Graham. Any thoughts on what accounts for the increase in speed? A new track record at the Long Beach Grand Prix tire shocks arrow experience maybe something else and impressive jumping speeds mark welcome to the question <laughs> that was being asked by everybody all weekend the drivers were as well we're in press conferences going look i, I do any of you know i don't know i want to know it's really cool but yeah wow i've heard everything from new track sealant or it's not track sealant but you know these are city streets but some sealant being placed down on uh, a pretty good stretch of track which would have increased grip uh also formula d rubber being down in a decent number of areas which certainly added some grip uh what else in the michelin rubber from the IMSA cars are pretty darn good that adding hurt all these things plus just uh further improved tires from firestone and yeah that's That's kind of the best that I've heard from uh, a collection of folks who were asking me or I was asking them or they were asking others. And I don't know if any of that is accurate, Mark, but that's uh, what some of us came up with. James Lau, you say, with uh, Jimmy Johnson um, crashing a few too many times this past weekend, do you think this will influence his decision to continue into year three? Um, No. Uh, Jimmy has been doing this too long to let one race, the outcome of one race weekend, uh, bad. I mean, I would have to say his worst IndyCar weekend to date, but he's been doing this for too long to let, uh, one bad weekend, uh, take him out of his happy place, uh, retire, plan on leaving after, uh, the end of the season. You know, I think he's just going to, Do what he's always done. Speak with his wife. Obviously, poll himself as to whether he wants to keep going, but speak with his wife and see if it fits them and where they're at and their two daughters and, you know, raising them and such. I would say James, I don't pretend to know Jimmy like he's a best friend or anything like that, but I've gotten to know him. I feel fairly well who he is since he's joined IndyCar. And what comes to mind with that question, first and foremost, is this. If Jimmy goes out and has a good season from here forward, right? Obviously, he had a a really good run at Texas, but just this was was a bad one, right? Crashed in three out of the five sessions, fractured a wrist, hurt himself. Um, Jimmy can have a, a good close to the year, do well on a couple of the ovals, Uh, so to have a good oval season, I think really what he's looking forward to is trying to have a a good road or street course, um, result couple of times. I think if he leaves this season feeling like, Hey, you know what? That was good. I didn't, you know, maybe I didn't get a championship, but I can walk away feeling satisfied and that I really did make significant gains and had some rewarding finishes. I think that. Compared to oh, it was rough and I crashed and uh, I don't—he's not the type to me to decide to call it quits based on a negative. He seems like the type who would say that was awesome, thank you, and and that's all I need based on a positive uh, fulfillment and achievement. Uh, I know that he is not. Uh, willing to let anybody steal his joy, to let any critics and whomever's written whatever shitty things he might have written last weekend about him, uh, opined such things about him, he is not the type to let any of that steal his joy. Tear him down, wear him down, make him want to leave. So, yeah. Honestly, I don't want the guy to leave anytime soon. But I can tell you that if he were to have a really strong run for the rest of the year and he decided that was uh, good enough for him I'd be really happy for him uh, let's see Dave Hyson saw the wheel nut roll out uh, in front of the car car leaps over it pit reporter said someone was hit by that nut no call is that pit equipment or not P.S. that would leave a mark yes it would I believe it was beneath Pagino's car that got shot back I don't know who it hit though uh, or what it hit uh, so you sure would think that would be something that leads to a penalty um so yeah i don't know um honestly dave i probably should have chased that down uh why don't we go to kevin perez federico I missed last weekend uh but congrats on having a good weekend with uh, the Porsche Carrera Cup program you with there kev mpm surprise chip didn't draft in sebastian and jimmy johnson's car i would think they would rather have him heal up uh so jimmy has a good showing at indy and this says plus would have been awesome for our beloved french ride to be back in a top level IndyCar car program again so why don't i start there so as i learned team wouldn't confirm it but that's fine as i learned um they had indeed had Sebastian on standby. Uh, and I don't mean true like he is standing by, but he he knew to be aware to be available if there was a need. Um, these are all things that go unreported because these were conversations between friends. Um, I called Seb Friday night at about 8 o'clock once I got back to the hotel. Didn't ask him a single word about Jimmy, or driving the Indy car, or anything else because, uh, I don't like to do that. You know, uh, I'm not calling him as a reporter, nor should I, because it's not his information to speak about. I just called to see how he was doing and how his day went. Um, after getting poll. I saw him, uh, very briefly. Uh, he gave me crap for not seeing him. um, and so I just called to see how he was doing, how the, how the rest of his day went and whatnot. And he was having, at 8 o'clock, uh, he was having sushi with his mom and dad uh, at whatever local restaurant. And that said everything. Uh, that was still a question as to whether Jimmy would drive in the morning, right? He's going to go and get evaluated, find out, etc., cetera, et cetera and uh, was going to make the call in the morning, assuming he was cleared by IndyCar Medical. Well, if there was a true panic or a true concern about whether Jimmy would or would not drive Saturday morning, Sebastian would not have been at Sushi. He would probably still be at the track, uh, having a seat poured and getting fitted to the 48 car, and having all that stuff uh, done and ready to go in anticipation of possibly needing to drive in the morning. It is not something, I think it was, what, like a 8.45 or 9 a.m. session, uh, Saturday morning, free practice, too. Whatever time it was, no way they were going to uh, start the process of getting him fitted to the car and get everything done and right um, in the limited amount of time before that first early practice session started on Saturday. So Justin calling and checking in with him friday night it was really clear that while yeah he might be he might have been told to be ready uh there was no effort in motion to my knowledge uh to get him ready to be in that car so it was pretty clear uh the other thing i'd heard uh, from someone else was that uh jimmy was wanting to give it a try and so you know, we got that formal confirmation saturday morning but uh had expected that to come. Obviously was able to drive the car, went qualified and such. I will admit that I did wish, uh, like you mentioned here, Kev, that Seb got a chance. I think even despite a lack of testing in the car, um, having been with a Honda-powered team last year, um, I'm sorry, Chevy-powered team last year, stepping into a car with a totally different setup than he's accustomed to, going back to a Honda, which he hasn't felt what they've done development-wise, power delivery-wise, torque, you name it, um, since he was with Dale Coyne, um, I still think he would have done pretty amazing things, and I think it could have been a huge, huge story of the race. Fortunately for Jimmy, he was able to uh, soldier on. Obviously, didn't have a great result in the race, unfortunately. But, yeah. Um, I wish, I wish, I wish. I sure hope, not due to injury, but I just sure hope that somebody in a competitive with a competitive seat thinks about Seb at some point in time this year. Um, it'd probably have to be on the Chevy side. I know that there was the possibility of a big exception for him to drive for Honda Team. Uh, at Long Beach, uh, out of necessity. Uh, but he is truly contracted to do big things with General Motors slash Cadillac. And yeah, boy, there are pretty strong battle lines drawn between Chevy and Honda slash Cadillac and Acura in IMSA. And even though he drives for Chip Ganassi Racing, uh, he's a prized asset on the Cadillac side. So yeah, Uh, again, team didn't confirm any of this, but uh, I'm pretty well aware that if needed, could have been in there. Uh, Let's see, Neil Doiker? I'm not sure how to pronounce your last name. D-U-I-K-E-R. I Uh, I apologize, Neil. Um, Say lots of bad things about me if I just murdered it. Uh, You say, prayers for you, your wife, and hi to the cats. Well, thank you uh who do i have do i have anybody here nope these fools ran off all right uh you say unpopular position you always talk about rossi's talent say but this week he had the speed the starting position and no anvil how is he anything other than overrated says he can have all the talent in the world but something has uh has him snake bitten and he is generally a non-factor will other teams start to wonder if he is the right fit Well, Neil, I wouldn't go that far. Um, as I mentioned earlier, he had, uh, his team had another issue, uh, in the pits that certainly set him back and I am looking for the post race quotes from the Andretti team for you here where his answer was just classic Alex Rossi, um, and I appreciate him for this. Uh, let's see. It said, silver linings of the day is that we finished, and we finished in a position that has one digit instead of two. Car was good all weekend, but we struggled a little bit with the tires in the first stint. But the team did a great job with the strategy. The pace on Firestone Reds were good as well, but we unfortunately lost some time in the pit in pit lane, which makes for track position in IndyCar these days. So let's just wind things back a little bit, Neil qualified fifth. I realize that his teammate Colton Herta qualified first. Um, I would not say Alex is as fast as Colton. And so, but that's okay. Very few people in the series are as fast as Colton. Um, would also say that on his return to Long Beach in a more competitive team, Romain Grosjean qualified sixth one spot behind Alex. So, uh, right. So Alex was the second fastest driver on the team, even though some folks think that Romain Grosjean is the second coming of Swiss Jesus. Um, did I say Swiss Jesus or Swiss cheeses? You decide. I'm also noticing here in the uh, the Andretti Autosport press release that they have named him Aleander Rossi. Uh, they left the X out. A-L-E-A-N-D-E-R. Aleander Rossi. Um, maybe if he was kind of buttery and smooth, would we call him Oleander Rossi? I don't know. Hashtag Aleander or hashtag Oleander Rossi? I'm not sure uh yeah so here's what i can tell you neil uh the team screwed him on strategy in saint pete terrible result uh the team appears to have missed something on the car at texas a the wire chassis loom wire that uh, connects to the alternator and takes the charging of that alternator to power up Uh, the entire vehicle i'm told uh, chafed through and uh, was severed and therefore there was no ability for the alternator to charge battery keep the electrical system running and he was out of the race almost immediately Uh, here while running well has yet another issue with um, duration of the pit stop not of his making falls back uh, ends up finishing eighth. So I would say talent and a lack of talent would have absolutely nothing to do with these three items. Uh, we sp- I spoke earlier about Pato being in a not great headspace and needing to get things cleared and get back to being himself, which he did not completely, but to a, a decent degree at this race. Uh, He's had a slow start to the year for all the reasons that I mentioned. Alexander and his team have been in not a great headspace for the last year or two. They have had a lot of cartoon anvils fall on them. All three races this year have involved cartoon anvils in the race. There have been races where he's been off. Hasn't been his amazingly sharp self. There have been races where the setup's been way off. Strategy's been way off and there's just been cartoon anvils thrown in as well. None of what I'm saying is making excuses. What I'm saying is just painting a portrait of the guy as I see it and as I have shared with a few folks, and I am positive many other folks have said as well. Alexander needs a change of scenery, not because the Andretti folks are bad, Not that his crew, from race engineer Jeremy Millis down to the person doing the most menial job on the 27 car, are unskilled, etc. Not just, right? Sometimes a team needs to change the head coach. Sometimes a team needs to trade one of its star players. Uh, Chemistry is off. Culture is off. Whatever the individual issue might be. In this situation, there is just something that does not appear to be super easy to get back on track. And so, for his sake, I do absolutely hope that he finds a new home that is rewarding for him, where there's a clean slate and he can do Alexander Rossi type things. Will there be a market? Yes. There is a market. Uh, I am aware, and I'm sure others have written about it and whatever, uh, there are multiple teams interested in his services. As I mentioned, I think in a recent episode, possibly, Neil, uh, there is that same concern that you have raised of, oh boy, if it keeps going downhill, what's that going to do to his market value? (sighs) That's the concern, right? You hope that things do get turned around. I still don't think he's going to be back, uh, but nonetheless, if things do get turned around, whether it's Michael Andretti deciding to extend a new contract uh, for him to sign or another team uh, wanting him for themselves, if we're talking about putting money on things, if there is a, a Rossi to... Arrow mclaren sp betting line i've never bet like that before so someone might have to tell me how to do it i don't know i'd put 20 bucks on it right now um i'd probably put 20 bucks on arenas vk as well uh, and i don't know i'd probably think about some more but yeah uh, i hope things go well enough for him as i think most people would just hope for his benefit that things go well uh, for the rest of the year, leave him in a place of strength when it comes to negotiation and whatnot. And he can find himself, uh, a new start, a fresh start that, um, yeah, just want to see the guy doing stuff that makes him happy and fulfilled. Same. Like I mentioned about Jimmy Johnson, same for every other driver. Um, this is a guy who in his happy place, Simon Paginot is another one, right? Uh, when things are going well the guy's devastatingly effective whatever change has to take place for him to fall back into that groove uh that's what i want to see cuz this guy is this guy's so damn good all right last couple of things here uh Tommy Bachman or is it Bachman you've got the umlauts i think over your the a in your last name and I've, not sure what to do with that but it says hey and thanks for all the good content you deliver about indycar thanks tommy uh it says uh, what do you think about the problem felix and mclaren are having with setup mostly driver whole package um say welcome far from varnamo Sweden." thanks tommy i think we're in the third race in a new engineering relationship between the great craig hampson and the great felix rosenfist yeah, I mean, they they missed significantly in terms of balance uh, to open the stint, uh, open the race. They missed significantly on duration, right? Felix was quick briefly, and then looks like the back of the car started dancing around on him and tires gave up prematurely and things just really, truly went downhill from there. Um, he loves Craig. Craig loves him. There's a lot of great potential here. We've seen Felix on pole. We've seen Felix start fourth this past weekend. It all at least says to me, Tommy, the two of them has found, the two of them has found, good Lord, let me try and speak English correctly. The two of them have found significant short burst speed. Sunday's race would be uh, evidence of that, would say even the race at Texas would be evidence of that. How to make the car perform at a high rate of speed over all laps during a stint, that is clearly the place where they need to focus their efforts, not next, but now. And if they can hold on to what they have in terms of qualifying pace, and also figure out how to make the car perform to Felix's liking, without the tires being torched uh, before the halfway point of a stint, legitimately, they become a serious problem uh, for a lot of people. So I don't I don't think there's anything massive here. Crazy, far off, and oh my gosh. I think it's just, hey, you know, give them a little while to figure each other out. Um, come up with some ideas. And I have no doubt they're going to get to a good place here very, very soon. Uh, down to our last couple of questions here. Ryan Terpstra says, Hey, the, uh, Hey, hashtag MP. Show me who is at fault when Simon started gardening for the winner's wreath for the Indy 500. <laughs> hey, now bonus points for drawing trajectory lines uh, and everything. Uh, look, y'all know that I love me some Simon Pagano, but that doesn't change the fact that, you know, I'm going to tell you as it is. And yeah, I don't know what he was thinking there. Um, how many times have we seen two Indy cars go into the fountain section at Long Beach side-by-side, side, make that right-hand turn, and come out side-by-side side unscathed, no contact, no hitting the wall, uh, no beaching themselves on the flowers? Uh, I would say the answer is pretty much never, or rarely, if ever. I don't want to say Simon's feeling pressure right now, because I don't really think he is. But I think I think there might be something there, Ryan, too Simon feeling like, hey, I gotta lead this team, i gotta I gotta do big things, you know he's not under fire, he's not under threat of anything, he's got a multi year contract, you know he's good and safe and all that, but I do think he feels like I've been unleashed from a situation where I maybe didn't feel like I was fully free to be myself and perform however i wanted you know things weren't necessarily always catered to my liking here they're 100 percent behind me all about me elio as well don't get me wrong i'm just saying smaller team stronger focus on uh, his individual needs than the needs of a much bigger team that he came from so i think all that kind of adds up here where he has a chance to fight with sato Wasn't necessarily fighting over the lead. So again, uh, I think there might have been a little bit of uh, situational misplacement. And you also have to think about who you're fighting with. And if we're talking to Kumasato, is he a guy that, Rosie, I hear you. Is he a guy who's known for giving up positions and just backing off the throttle and, and waving you by? Absolutely not. This is the guy who is never going to do that. So this just seemed to be massively overplaying his hand. It's not like he was half a car length in front of Sato going into the fountain. Uh, It's not as if this was for a podium position or anything else. And uh, I think he just pooped the bed, the the flower bed. So yeah, um, that was unnecessary. Let's see, uh, Peter Nutt, our pal from Holland. You asked, was the hamburger and taco show scheduled for Sunday? Already covered that off. But also, you know, huddled up with Colton too it was like, hey, you know, uh, I I use the reaction at Texas as a guide for okay, maybe uh, I need to just not consider you for the days when things go wrong. And it was like, no, 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 you know, let's let's not make that the the trend. So I think we should be good going forward. But I don't know if I'm going to do every day with Colton at the races going forward. I do like the idea of bouncing around a little bit. Also, if y'all agree, really thought that Kyle Kirkwood did a darn good job. So I think I might need to have me some more Kyle Kirkwood. Um, Kevin DeVries, MP hoping all is well with the two and four legged residents of your home. Says with official event sources, giving Toronto the green light, You heard anything from Green Savory about adjustments for the increased field size. Um, Actually, I spoke with Jay Fry who said they're good to go currently with like 24 to 25 cars, but they are currently working with the Green Savory folks to see how they can try and bump that up to 26, 27. Um, We're going to close with our pal Jim Kaiser. I mentioned puts together the questions for the show and I'm going to have to send Jim a little note and say, don't do this again. He said to do this week's list. I skipped a job interview priorities, man. Haiku from Jim. That's where we got to know him on the show, but I don't want Jim skipping interviews to put together the silly list here. So please don't do that anymore. Jim, please, 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 uh, you, your fine family, your kids and all that way more important. So there you go. Uh, y'all, I still have, uh, I think, about 10 more stickers to put up for uh, offer on the uh, good old Marshall Pruitt Podcast merchandise page. I didn't mention this at the beginning for one reason, and one reason alone, I forgot. Uh, but if you have the least bit of interest, you might check out marshallpruittpodcast.com. I do have 1,200 plus Episodes for your perusal and enjoyment as Rosie continues to howl behind me. Um, and we have some new show stickers and other stickers that I've posted. And if you'd like any of them, well, please buy some. Whatever you order there, whether it's stickers, whether it's some of the memorabilia and whatnot that I've posted, um, all those purchases help my wife and I. I help the show uh, covering things cost wise in the show, but. They help my wife and I, first and foremost, and I uh, appreciate you, and for all those who have been doing that for a little over a year now. So with all that said, I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the Marshall Pruitt Podcast with my cat, Rosie, who really wants to be on the show. Come here, baby. Come here, mama. Hey, come here. <clears throat> to you, too. She is a big talker all the time. The mic's right in front of you, girl. No, come on. You love meowing behind me not going to meow while you're right in front of the mic. You're going to get away. What are you doing? Rubbing her belly. I want to say a big thank you, as always, to TorontoMotorsports.com, the Justice Brothers, and Cooper Tires, and all of you for the great questions that you send in each week. Now you're looking away. You're so silly, girl. Uh, Prudayrocks at gmail.com if you want to join a new racing family there. And uh, should have the racing family show with Ricardo Junco's my pal mo murray who's the head of mazda Motorsports, and uh who else alanis king uh journalist and also author of a new book that's coming out uh, and i don't know i think we had a few other folks too uh should have that show up here shortly and we look forward to speaking to you all soon here on the good old marshall group podcast <laughs> you meow right at the end perfect timing baby girl. yes